0: Well, today we start a brand new series, The Casual Christian. And I'm actually really excited about this series. You see, because not many people, at least in the South, I feel like there's too many papers over here. There's not many people that just are against church, they're against Christians. And I would assume most of you, as seen as you're here, that's not your stance either. You're not like, I'm anti church, I hate the church. And if you do hate the church and you're here, we're glad you're here. But most of us are in this casual Christian bubble. And what I mean by that is that we say and do one thing when we're with our Christian friends, and then we say and do another thing when we're not. Uh, You've probably heard the term like uh, casual drinkers, people that drink only when they're with friends that drink. Uh, There was a student the other day that told me he was a casual cusser. I didn't know that was a word. So I guess he cusses with his cussing friends. And, and we find ourselves in life doing different things for different people. And that's not always a bad thing. Like, I'm not really a game person. Like, I don't like board games that much, but my wife loves them. So when I'm with my wife and our friends, we play board games. I, I'm a casual gamer, I guess you say. We do things to please those around us. And, and some of them aren't bad, but being a casual Christian is, is a bad thing. Only acting like a Christian when you're at church is, is not good. It's actually probably worse than just not being a Christian at all. And I think that's where most of us find ourselves. At least that's where I found myself most of the time when I was your age. Revelation three sixteen says, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And how many people do we know that are in this bubble, this lukewarm, casual Christian bubble? How many of us are willing to observe our own life and, and be honest and do we land in this lukewarm, casual Christian category? See, Jesus wants us to be on fire for Him or not. But most of us are probably somewhere right in the middle. And so this series, we're going to spend four weeks looking at what it looks like to step out and not just be a casual Christian, but actually live that way, be that way, and act that way all the time. And if, if none of this applies to you, I'm just preaching to me today because these things apply to me. These things still come into my life. If I find myself spending too much time with the wrong people, I find myself drifting towards those two. It's, it's, it's normal. So hear me, if that's you, that's normal. It's hard to be a Christian when no one around you acts that way. It's hard to, to act like a Christian and stand up for your faith and defend those around you when other people are doing the opposite. It's hard to be that way. But we're going to look at four different areas where I think we're the most lukewarmish. That's a word. It is a word because I'm preaching and I make up words. Lukewarmish. As Christians, I think those areas for me in my life are probably a lot like yours. And those areas are in, in the way we pray. We're pretty lukewarm. The way we worship, the way we study the Bible, and the way we invite others to church. I think that's where we would find we're the most lukewarm, or at least I would for myself. And so this series is all about that. About what it would look like if we moved from lukewarm to hot. If we moved from a casual Christian to... To actually being a Christian and acting that way all the time. So tonight is about prayer. And the goal for this series is to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I want God to stretch you and pull you into something that's not normal for you. That's what I'm praying in my life. Guys, this, this first topic, prayer, about a week and a half ago, I felt the Holy Spirit just saying to me, Charlie, you need to pray more. Before he wrote this message, I'm like, I felt it, and I texted my wife in the moment, It's was like, we need to pray more. Because this message is for me too. I'm with you in this message. And so we're talking about prayer. And even as I was writing these, these, these things down, I feel like we talked about prayer a bunch. And even some of the things I was reading and studying or writing, I'm like, I feel like I just said this. And maybe we did. But even, it, even for me, it's like, man, I need to hear it again. I need to see it again. Because I still fall in this lukewarm category more times than not. So have you ever seen... A person who had something that you wanted. And I'm not just talking about a car like, or, or things or possessions, but I'm, I'm, have you ever seen a Christian with a quality that you wanted? Have you ever seen somebody pray in a way like, man, I wish I could pray like that? It just seems like they know what to say. It seems like they, they have the right words. Or maybe you're like me, I watch Josh preach on Sundays and pray. I'm like, man, that dude must levitate out of bed. Like he's a super Christian. I wish I could pray like him. Like, he's so close to God. Like, he has a direct connection. Like, like he's got him on speed dial. I got to, like, pray and talk to the wall. And he, like, talks to him. You know what I'm talking about? You see those people, like, man, I wish I had that. At least it is that way for me. I see people that have things that I want. And, and we're not alone in that. You're not alone in that. That even the disciples who walked with Jesus, they felt that way. You see, there was one day, they, the Bible says they were creeping in some bushes watching him pray. And as they watched him pray, they realized what he did was special. What he did was powerful, it was personal, it was different. And these are dudes that grew up in the church. They grew up praying, they, they grew up memorizing hundreds of specific perfect holy prayers and memorizing scripture and all of these things. Like These were some good, solid dudes. And they realized that how Jesus prayed, they wanted that. They wanted what he had, they realized what he did was different. And so that scripture in Luke 11, it says, Now when Jesus was praying in a certain place... And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Why? Because they realized he had something that they didn't. He realized he could do something that they they weren't doing. And what we'll come to find out tonight, it's nothing that's just because he was Jesus or just because he's Josh Howerton. We'll realize it's things that you and I can do no matter where we are, who we are, how old or how much we love Jesus, whatever. Like, it, it won't matter. So... I want to know, like, where are we willing to ask the same question with sincerity? Are we willing to really look at Jesus and say, Jesus, when he got done, bridge students, we said to him, God, Lord, teach us to pray. Like, I even wrote it down. Bridge students said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Like, I don't want to just, like, I, like can we really ask this? Can, can As I evaluate my life and what I'm doing, can I really ask, God, teach us to pray. Teach me to pray. And so we're going to, as we get into this series and this message tonight, we're going to pray. I was super clever, but I want the prayer of your heart to be one thing. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. That's it. All right. Let's. I'm gonna give you just like two seconds to pray, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll close. So, bow your heads. We're gonna pray for just a second. God, we need you, and there's one thing we ask. Lord, teach us to pray. Let us hear your voice and see the what you're calling us to. Christ, let me pray. Amen. Short and sweet, Lord, teach us to pray. Here we go. Most of us start our day, I feel like, in front of a mirror, or at least I do. Some of you don't believe me based off the way I look, but I promise I looked at myself in the mirror before I left, but we start our day looking in the mirror, making sure everything's kind of in line and put together, my shirt looks right, my zipper's up, and then we go on our day. We want to make sure we can take care of the little things. And and I think that's kind of how at least we handle our prayer lives too a little bit, is that we check ourselves first and try to see what we can fix, what we can handle. And when we realize there's something too big for the mirror, there's too big of a problem, we turn to the cross at that point. I mean, it's not just you and me, it's our country. You notice when bad things happen in our country, everybody turns to God. Like, in God we trust. That was a bad hurricane. And I agree, we should go to God, but, but we see bad things happen, or there was another school shooting, we're like, man, we need God. I mean, we needed God before that school shooting, and, and, and we just tend to turn to God when things are beyond our control. In our prayer lives, we handle a lot on our own. I genuinely believe, like total confession, I genuinely believe that I can take care of my family on my own. I've had an adult job for seven years now, and I've made enough money to provide for my family, and we've had children, and my wife stays home. Like, I am a grown man, and I can provide for my family. Like, I genuinely believe this, and I, do, I don't pray about that because I think that I can take care of myself. I think that's how our prayer lives are. We, we, we think we can take care of ourselves. And we don't need God. We only turn to Him when things seem bigger than what we can handle. We treat the cross like a mechanic. Like if something's broken, okay, yeah, my life sucks right now. Let me go to the cross. Yeah, my parents are screwed up. Let me go to the cross. But when it's normal stuff or thankful things, like that's not what we do. We, we tend to just handle them ourselves. Prayer is not where we stop and drop off our to-do list. It's not some spiritual Santa Claus. We're not going to talk about just, it is a good thing to pray about problems in your life. Hear me. But most of us, is that all we do? If I were to ask who has prayed in the last month about something bad that has happened to you, probably all raise our hand. If I were to ask how many of you have prayed about something that's good that's happened to you, a lot less of us would raise our hands. Because it's not what the normal thing is to do. Sometimes we worry, like, man, is God paying attention to my life? It's not a, hey, God, here's what's going on now. What if prayer was an opportunity for us to get focused on God, not for God to get focused on you? Because that's how we treat it. We think it's a time for God to get focused on what's happening in our life, the problems that are wrong with us. But maybe it's a time where we need to realize it's time for us to get focused on God and what he's doing. If you want something someone else has, you got to work for it. It takes some effort and time. You guys let me tell you what I want? No, okay. Whoever said yeah, I'm telling you only. I wanna. I was at the beach, and that picture I showed that old man. I wanna be an old man that's got muscles and like looks good. You know what I'm talking about? Not dad bod, like beach bod. But here's the problem: I wanna go to the gym. No desire to go to the gym, like none, like not even little. I spent time in the gym in high school when I played sports. I just don't want to go anymore. It's it's not fun to me. It's boring. I'm afraid the other people that are bigger than me will embarrass me. I'm just not going to go. I'll be like the smallest dude in there, like lifting these little weights. You know, and that old man's like, ooh. I just don't want to go. For many reasons, I don't want to go to the gym. Guess what? I ain't never going to get a beach bod. I'm always going to have a dad bod. Because <laughs> you got to put in the work to get it. And that's where some of you are in your prayer life. You're like, man, I just don't want to put in the work. I don't want to do that. I'm afraid I'll do it wrong or won't do it right or won't be good enough. I just I, I don't want to do it. And some of you are in this category where you've never learned to do it. When I was your age, I went to play golf with my grandfather for the first time, and we get on the first tee, and I, like, rear back, to, whatever the word is, pull the club back here, you know. I swing, and I hit that. I used two hands. And I hit it, and the ball went, like, three inches. <laughs> Rolled down this little hill. He's like a suitcase on try and I tried again, and I'm just the worst, the worst at it. And, and the problem wasn't that I was just horrible at golf. The problem was I'd never been taught. No one had ever told me how to hold a club. I was holding it wrong. No one had ever told me how to swing a club. I was swinging it wrong. Like, so it wasn't that I just sucked at it. I hated it because no one ever taught me. So that's some of you. You've hated praying because you've never been taught to pray. So whether you're in the category of like, man, you just don't want to do it, or you're afraid to do it because someone may be better than you, or you've never been taught, tonight's probably for you. And if you're in either of those categories, I don't know. Maybe come next week. Because <laughs> we find ourselves in this place of prayer where it's like, man, I feel ashamed I should go talk to God. I did something wrong, or I feel obligated because that's what we do. I feel obligated, or I don't know what to say, or I don't know, I don't think he's listening. I don't want to bother him. I don't trust him. I don't get an answer. Like We have all these things and reasons of why not to. And before we jump into the, the meat of the Scripture, I want to point out something from the Old Testament. I was, as I was studying this week, I came across a passage in 1 Chronicles. It's a terrible book to read. So, there's literally 300 names in a row, like Jacob begot Smith and Smith begot John. I don't know what their real names were. They're really hard to pronounce. And it like, goes on and on, like all these people, that begot these other people and begot these, it just keeps going, 300 names in a row. Somewhere in the middle of these names, there's this guy named Jabez. And it, when it says, whoever begot Jabez, I'm sorry, I'm not smart. Jabez was begotten. <laughs> it stops for two verses and it talks about Jabez. And and Jabez, his name means something. See, in the Old Testament, they named you for two reasons. They named you for, one, what they were experiencing at the time, and two, it was kind of like a prophetic name of what your life would be. Jabez means pain. His mama named him pain. And and it was a symbol of what she felt when he was born, pain. And it was a symbol of prophecy of his life. But Jabez, see, Jabez's life was pain. Jabez's life was agony, and it was struggle. But here's why they stopped on Jabez's name. Because it says that Jabez prayed that God's will would happen in his life, that no matter what he was walking through, that God's will would be done. Jabez didn't stop to say, God, please remove this pain. Please remove this agony. Please help me. He stopped and said, God, your will in my life. And so Jabez gets this shout-out, and then it goes back to Jabez, begot, so-and-so, begot, 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 and it keeps going. So we want to be like Jabez. We want to learn to pray like Jesus. We want to shout-out all the begots, because even in pain and agony, we're we're praying. So we're going to jump into this, and and I've got four things I've written down that I think they've helped me, and I'm hoping they'll help you. Uh, And the first thing we want to do is we want to start with praise. And yes, I'm using an acronym because I'm a pastor, and that's what Josh Howerton taught me to do. So you're welcome. Praise. We want to start with praise. God, God wants us to be close to Him. God wants us to celebrate Him, not because He needs us. Y'all, the Bible says if we don't worship the mountain's will, He don't need us to do this. He wants us to do this because He realizes that there's a, a difference in a relational Prayer and a rescuing prayer. He wants us to be close to Him and long to be a part of what He's doing. Uh, some of you know this idea of praise, but the wrong way. See, so you go and ask your mom or dad, like, "Hey, can I get ten bucks?" And they say no. So you walk off and you come back. Hey, mom, did I tell you your haircut looks really good today? <laughs> it looks so good, like it looks nice. Or you're like, "Dad, your beach bod is coming in." Your, your dad bod is, this is great. Like you suck up and say these things and be like, "Oh, by the way, can I get that ten bucks I was talking about earlier?" <laughs> I mean, I do this currently. I ask my wife, hey, can I spend some money? Did I mention you look great today? We, we, we bring this praise with like a selfish motive. And it doesn't work if you're me. Oh, I know what you need now. Uh-huh. I know what you're trying to do. But, but God wants us to come with this genuine heart of, God, we're, we're thankful for you. We, we appreciate what you're doing. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 9, it's when Jesus was teaching them how to pray. He said, if you want to know how to pray, here's how. And he, he recites a prayer that you probably know. He says, our Father in heaven... Right. We know this prayer, we can say the whole thing, but he starts off by saying, God, your name is holy. God, your name is worthy. God, you're, you're worth so much. See, we, we pass through these words pretty quickly when we say it normally, but Jesus was trying to make a point that we should worship and praise in how we pray, and that's the first thing we do. He didn't start by saying, dear God, my life sucks. Let me get some help real quick. These people on earth are morons. He, he, he started by saying, God, you're so worthy. Your name is so holy and precious and perfect. It says in John four twenty three, it says, A time is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they have the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. See, God is is, is seeking our genuine praise, not this, like, suck up praise, like I need something, but this genuine, God, we love you, and your name is worth something. So when we pray, I challenge you to start with praise. The second thing is we've got to relinquish our control. It took me a long time to find an R word. Relinquish. We've got to surrender, we've got to let go of what we want and what we need. Guys, we see Jesus model this all throughout his life, even to the end. Jesus is in the garden praying right before his death, knowing he's about to go out and receive lashes and lashes and lashes to the point that his rib cage would be exposed. He knew he was going to hang on a cross and be pierced in his hands with, with nails in his feet and that, that he would literally hang there long enough till he would suffocate on the blood inside of his lungs. And he knew these things were coming, and knowing these things are coming, he didn't pray, God, get me out of this mess. What he prayed was, God, if this can pass, great, but more importantly, God, would your will be done? And he he just wanted to let go of all this control so that God could use him. He knew what was coming in his life. You think your life sucks? That's probably worse. What he walked through is worse, and he did it for you, but he stayed in it. Because he knew it wasn't about what he wanted, but what God wanted. And the reason in those moments he was able to say that wasn't because that was he's Jesus. It was because that's what he had done forever. In the small things, in the things that didn't matter, in the everyday moments, Jesus walked and lived this prayer of, God, it's yours. I relinquish everything. All control I have, it's yours. God, everything I have belongs to you. And so in the heat of the moment, when all the pressure was on, when his life really sucked, he didn't have to hold on to it. Because see, in the heat of the moment, you will resort to what you've been doing. You will resort to what you've practiced. And that's what happened in Jesus' life. He knew that he needed to pray not for rescue but for relationship. Most of us pray for rescue. We need help. Get me out of the situation. Something's not working out. Help me with this. And even to the very end, when Jesus is hanging on the cross about to die, what he prays was still to stay in God's will. Matthew 26 reads, 26-39, it says, Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He, he didn't want to, to do this. He, he felt the pain. He was scared, but he wasn't worried about what he wanted. He was more concerned with what God wanted. And at the end, in Luke 23, as he says these last things, he, he looks and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. All the way to the end. Jesus' primary concern wasn't what he wanted, but what God's will was for his life. We have to be willing to let go of our lives and our situations and realize they're nothing in order for God to speak into those. Next, we want to pray with assurance. We want to pray with this this confidence, this excitement that that what we're saying is being heard, what we're saying matters. I don't know about you guys, but when I talk, I want people to listen. So I grew up to become a pastor and get a microphone. Now you have to Listen. (laughs) But we want people to listen to us. We want people to hear what we say. One of my pet peeves, I hate it when I'm talking. I really want people to like look at me in my eyes so that I know you're listening. And if I think for a second my wife's not listening, I'll throw in like a random like, and the dinosaur took a crap in the yard. And just to see if she hears me, every time she's like, yeah, I know the dinosaur crapped in the yard. I'm like, dang. <laughs> she's always listening. But I just want to know that, that I, want to, I want to have assurance that they know I'm listening. And I think That the reason sometimes when we pray we don't have this assurance is because we're looking in the mirror at our imperfections and our flaws and our problems. That's the assurance we're praying with, God, this is who I am. But we don't pray with that. As a Christian, we get to pray with what happened on the cross. This excitement of perfection, what Jesus was, what Jesus did, that's the assurance we pray with. That's the authority we speak with when we pray, when God listens to us. It's not who we are in this mirror, it's who He was on the cross. That's what we get to pray with. That's why it's exciting. That's why you can pray with the assurance. If you've ever been to like a prayer gathering where maybe people are praying for school or you know, we pray here sometimes. you got some people, and this is me, by the way. They're like in the corner praying. They're like, dear God, thank you so much. For all. Like they're just kind of scared. Like that's me. I'm like, and then you got that guy walking around. God, we love you so much. Thank you for what you're doing. Like yelling. And he's like way more excited. I'm like, shh, people can hear you praying. But people pray with this excitement that they've got something they're praying for. And I know in my life it's because I pray with the authority of who I am. This broken, imperfect, flawed person. But when I look at people that pray that I want to be like, they don't pray for them themselves. they pray for what Jesus has done with them. So we want to pray with assurance of what God has done. Looking in the cross, not the mirror, Hebrews 4:15 says, "For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses. We have one who is tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, there was a time in in history, and even still, people pray to, they confess to like a a priest, or they would have to pray through these high priests in, in that day. And that's not what we do anymore. We're not praying to a flawed human. We're not praying through or with a flawed human. We are praying with the confidence that Jesus is perfect and did everything, and that's what we get to pray with. And the last thing I want to point out is that, I mean, you've got to make it your own. I know some people think you've got to say the right words. Lord, Father, hallowed your name is, we've cometh before. Like, you think that there's a certain way you're supposed to do this, but God's like, no, no, no. See, see God already knows what you need before you ask him. Some of you are like, great, don't have to pray. He already knows. Wrong. You just don't have to worry about what you say. Matthew 6 says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Jesus is looking at these super Christians, these people that like prayed so well, right, that stood on pedestals the, and prayed out loud. He's like, don't be like them. They're loud. They say too many words. Their, their words are confusing and worthless. But here's what he says. He says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You don't have to say certain words. You don't have to. Save them for a certain length of time. You don't have to pray scripture. You can do some of these things, but but what's important is that you do it. Man, if you can write down one practical thing, whether you're taking notes or pretending to take notes, this is the one thing, the one practical thing I would encourage you. Man, pray out loud. Find you a place where you can pray out loud. I I know like half of y'all on riddling. You tell me all the time. And the other half of y'all probably need to be on it, including me, because we can't pay attention. And I don't know about you, but if I try to have a conversation with you in my head right now, I get really distracted. It's not easy for me to pay attention. And yes, Jesus, God will hear what you say in your head, but find you a place where you can pray out loud. There's a pastor I follow, uh, who I'm even trying to model my life after because he did so many great things. And one thing he did when he got in the ministry almost three decades ago was he built a he had a study in his home, a place where he could go and pray and study God's word. And he intentionally called it a study, not an office because he wanted it to be a special place, a sacred place, a place where he could practically connect with God every single day, where it would be a practice that was repeatable and easy to, to do. And, and I, So I, I got a study at my home, and I don't use it like this man. But this man has prayed in the same spot for almost 30 years. And he's prayed there so much there's, there's, there's divots in the floor. And he doesn't say this to brag about himself. When he wrote the article talking about it, he said it because he said he created a practice that was just easy to repeat, He found a spot and said, this spot right here, I'm going to kneel every day. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray out loud. And I'm going to thank God for what he's done in my life. And I'm going to relinquish all the control that I have. And I'm going to pray with this authority of what Jesus did on the cross. And it's going to be from me. And every day this man has knelt in the same place and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I guarantee you his words probably sound smarter than mine. But he created a pattern that he could continue to do. And this man's no casual Christian. This man's a man who's changing lives because he's done something over and over. Prayer doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. It doesn't have to be long. It's just it's what we do on a regular basis that will matter. Are we willing to, to look at our lives, examine where we are, and try something that's different, that's uncomfortable? To find a spot in your room where you make your own divots, where you've prayed so much? And not just about the, when you get stuck or have a problem or you're, you got kicked off the team or your boyfriend dumped you. I don't care. God cares about that. But he wants to know so much more of you. He doesn't just want to rescue you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. The relationship is the rescue, not the getting out of your situation. It's knowing him. And so tonight, as we close, tonight's the perfect night to invite the band and pray a whole bunch. But we're not going to do that. Because that's easy. That's easy. Some of you, the last time you prayed was in this room last Wednesday. And that's Okay. At least you prayed last Wednesday. Good job. What, what we want to create is practices that we'll continue to do. So we're going to go to small group from here. And you're going to pray all the whole time in small group if you want to. But we want to talk about how we take these things and actually start doing them. How it's not just a moment in here because we're with other Christians and other Christians are praying. It's a moment that we want to do out there. That's the challenge. Can you continue to do this when you're with your friends that cuss too much, when you're with your friends that drink too much. Can you continue to be a Christian there as well?